Is rotisserie chicken better than sex? My answer, you bet your ass it might be. Now, the reason that I bring this up is I don't know how many other dads out there are faced with the same dilemma. It's a random ass Tuesday night and dinner time is creeping up. Now I'm a meal prepper and I have a culinary background. And about once a week, I'll fire up the crock pot or the grill or the oven or whatever and bang out a bunch of meals for us to have on hand all week. And I'll even freeze some of them for later on. But sometimes it's hot. Sometimes I'm tired as a parent always. And sometimes I don't want to spend any time dicking around trying to cook anything. Despite my culinary background, once in a while I hit a roadblock and need some inspiration. Or I just lose interest in cooking altogether. I don't want to have to open up the pantry or the fridge and try to figure out some random recipe or look through one of my old Rachel Ray cookbooks that my parents got me 12 years ago. So my go-to solution is a quick stop at the grocery store. Some rotisserie chicken, some vegetables, hell, even some tortillas and salsa, and there you go. A quick, easy meal with plenty of leftovers. And unlike sex, no apologies are needed afterwards. And unlike sex, there usually isn't much to clean up. And unlike sex, Everyone involved is pretty satisfied and is usually up for it again the next night. So rotisserie chicken, you get my vote. Here's today's sponsor, I Wish I Had. Today's sponsor, I Wish I Had, is American Dream Nut Butter. What is American Dream Nut Butter, you ask? Well, let me tell you. They are quite simply the greatest peanut butter you will ever taste in your life. You might say, that's hard to believe. And I'll say, oh yeah? Listen to these flavors and then you talk to me. White chocolate pretzel, cinnamon toffee crunch, cookie batter, frosty pebble. You still there? That's what I thought. And those are just a few of the flavors. Let me tell you something else. This past Christmas, I ordered a ton of this stuff to hand out to my customers, like 20, 30 jars. And usually when I hand out Christmas gifts to customers, I don't even get a response or I get a, hey, thanks for that thing or whatever. But with this, I am not joking. I got emails, I got phone calls, and I even had one person chase me out into the parking lot to tell me that they and their spouse ate the entire jar the night they got it. Also, American Dream Nut Butter is a small family-run business and they hand whip all of their butters. And they also donate part of their proceeds to sending care packages to troops overseas. So, if you're looking to try something amazing, American Dream Nut Butter, today's sponsor, I wish I had. Now, today's guest is an everyday dad just like you. He's a good friend of mine that lives in the Nashville, Tennessee area and has three wonderful children. I think they're wonderful. I mean, I haven't met them, but what am I supposed to say? All of his kids are jerks? His name is Eric Taylor, and he joins me today to chat about being a dad while traveling on the road all the time. You and I have been friends for a couple years. You and I used to work together, and we still kind of do intermittently. Um, and you were kind enough to be a guest on the podcast that we do for work, uh, Food Service for Thought, with my company, Forbes, Heber, and Wallace. And I thought you'd be a great person to talk to on this podcast because you have, I think, a little bit of a unique uh, experience as a father for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them being you travel quite a bit, and you always have since I've known you, um, and even before I think I, I knew you. And second thing is sort of the, the pace at which uh, you and your wife had your kids. I think that's pretty unique. Shane and I got married in 2003. Um, we were pretty young. She was actually 20, and I was two weeks before turning uh, 24 when we got married. We, we got married young and, and decided to wait uh, before we started having a family. Uh, so our son Harrison was born in, in 2011, which was um, 
which and he was born in April. So here's one thing that I don't advise doing unless you want to get a lot of uh, pushback. So he Harrison was born um, middle of the month in, in April. On April, you know, first I I go on Facebook. Hey, you know, Shay's water just broke. We're on the way to the hospital. You know, we're having a baby today, and it was my April Fool's prank. <laughs> so. Once people realized that I was just joking around, uh, I mean, the pitchforks came out. I thought, you know, all all of her <laughs> friends and family members and everyone was just in a tizzy because once you say, hey, we're going to the hospital, that it spreads like wildfire. And yeah, especially, well, especially when, it's when your, you put it on Facebook. Oh, yeah, it was bad. It was it was a move where I kind of am glad I did it. But here, here's where it, it, it uh, came back to haunt me. So our second son, Lennox was born in 2015 and we were living uh, in New England at that time. You know, Lennox, his due date was April 1st, April Fool's Day. And we were like, well, you know, Harrison came 10 days early. I'm sure Lennox will come early. There's no way he'll go to his due date, surely. And sure enough, uh, he was born two hours into April 1st. He was like 2 a.m. You know, four more years go by. You know, I get a phone call at... Uh, while I'm doing a at, at work on a Friday afternoon, I just finished up a conference call, and and Shay calls me, and, and well, guess what? Can you come home? Sure. What is it? What is it? And she's like, Yeah, I'm pregnant. So, you know, that one was a, a bit out out of the blue, but we have our little girl uh, Novella, and she just turned one on February seventh. Since you had the pregnancies were spaced out like that, how did you process going through it? Change from one to two to three with the first one uh you know that was a situation where obviously you're over the moon when you find out and i did all the you know i read the books there was a book that i read uh, when shay was pregnant with harrison called quarterback dad and it was written in a bunch of like football analogies and it was real simple stuff it was almost like you know pack your bag and have it by the front door and it had all these different ways that you could be supportive and ways you could help and just just trying to clue you in on this is how you need to approach this impending date and how you need to be prepared and how you can support your wife. So, you know, I was reading the books and going to the classes and doing all the different things. You know, number two and number three, the fact that she was obviously experienced with it and more ardent on how she wanted everything to go down. Uh, I felt that was empowering to me as well uh, because I could really support her. And it wasn't like we were just um, going through it for the first time, you know, you feel like you do have a bit of, have more of a mindset and you know what, how you want to go down. But beyond that, one thing that I will say, they say that everything comes back to you and you remember all the different stages and when you're supposed to switch from, you know, milk, uh, breast milk or formula to heart, to, to solid food and all these different things. And it really is not, it's not like riding a bike. Like you have to relearn some of those things, especially when you space them four years apart, like uh, <laughs> like we have. Not that everything goes away, but you do have to sort of uh, rekindle, and you can't just rest on your laurels. You have to definitely, you know, make sure you're staying on top of everything. So, well, and something uh, I imagine that has to had to have changed for you is from when you had the first your first son to when you just had your daughter. I mean, technology, uh, education, information. Some of that has changed, right, as oh, far yeah. as what you use um, and what is, you know, quote unquote, the right thing to do now as far as sleep pattern, just how you how you interact with your baby. And yeah, I mean, hell, when we were kids, it was, you know, just toss them in the crib on their stomach and it's fine. <laughs> and then, right. 
It's like, no, actually, no, keep them on your back. So I, I imagine there had to be some change over what an eight year period. Yeah, definitely. There, there is changes with, with that for sure. And, and you can be uh, paralyzed by the amount of information that's out there. Oh yeah. And the, and the amount of options. So, you know, I'm obviously I was not a parent when I was a kid, I was a child, but I can, I can imagine that there were a handful of, you know, car seats, booster seats, any type of stroller. I mean, you probably had choices, right? But now it's eons of choices. It's so many choices. And one thing that I would, I would definitely advise for anyone that's getting into it is don't overthink the things that really don't matter. Uh, because in the end, if you pick stroller A or stroller B, they're both going to serve a purpose. You know, you mentioned the the stuff about the amount of choices that you have. That was something that was frustrating to me was just the overwhelming amount of choices and options. And it was kind of like, like just an, I felt like the whole market was oversaturated on every single product for your baby. And I was like, why are there 45 different pack and play options? Like there can't be right. that much difference between these things. And I kind of likened it to right now, um, uh, my wife and I are going through the process of finishing up building a new home and we were able to make some design center choices and paint colors and stuff. You know, and it's like we're sitting there agonizing between two different kinds of tile and they look virtually identical. And it's like, is this really that big of a deal? Like this, we're spending a lot <laughs> of energy on this versus, you know, light gray versus light or gray tile that's going to go in the in the laundry room you know so it's like yes what do you think is something that you struggle with on a daily basis as as a father you know that's a great question i think you want to develop the whole person and if it's your and when you have three you know you want to develop them physically you want to develop them you know mentally and you want to develop them spiritually or you know and and however way you, um, you approach that. So I definitely want to focus on developing the whole child. And then when you have three, there's only so many hours in the day. So how do you do that? And, and that's something that I definitely struggle with or, or something that I definitely ponder and, and try to, to do well with it. It can be a struggle because a, there's only enough time in the day and B, am I using my time wisely? Am I vegging out on my phone? Am I watching Am I being lazy or am I pouring uh, discipleship? Am I pouring uh, strength into my into my child? How does that dynamic work with not one, not two, three kids, you traveling, daily life? How does how do you and Shay make that work? Well, I think the the very first thing uh, whenever you're in a traveling position like I am, and you have three kids, is you have to have a rock star significant other. So Shay is, is definitely that she, she works in her own right. She's a video production uh, professional. She was a uh, production coordinator on an ad that just aired during the Super Bowl for Jack Daniels. So she does really high level work. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. She does high level work in the, in the video production field. So she, number one, she has a career um, that she has to worry about. And then number two, uh, when I'm gone. Yep. So in addition to worrying about you know, her career and worrying about shuttling the kids back and forth. And then you have, she has a window of time to, to get things done before she has to pick them up and then do homework and do. And so it's really a full day um, when I'm on the road and, and she's managing all that. So I really, first of all, I want to give kudos to her, but the biggest thing you can do is leverage technology. So if you have an additional 10 minutes in the evening, you know, FaceTime your kids, 
call your wife, uh, make sure that you're, you're present as much as possible, ask questions about their day, be very inquisitive and, and try to engage, uh, from afar. And then number two, sometimes you can go on a, on a work trip where it really takes a lot out of you. You're going to client dinners at night, you're doing presentations during the day, you have all of these different things. So when you get home from that after the, and maybe you had an airport delay, sometimes you want to get home and just veg out and watch come fly with me or just <laughs> fall out on in your recliner or on your, on your couch. But after she's been wrangling the kids for several days, the, the thing you have to do is you have to be cognizant enough to be home. And when you get home, turn it on and turn immediately into go right into dad mode. And, yep. you know, obviously, in this world of, of cell phone 24 seven, people expect you to be responsive people at, at work. I mean, our, our work lives are different than they were 30 years ago for our parents, some ways harder, some ways easier, Yeah. but being able to, to have emails just pop up on your phone and you can keep going and stay on till infinity. And just at some point you have to shut it down and, and go directly into dad mode. And if you get home from a work trip, and you go directly into dad mode, it really helps ease uh, your what, what, re-entry. Whenever like the space shuttle comes back into Earth, what they call it, re-entry. <laughs> it's, it's almost like you're re-entering the orbit of your home, and you have to do it in a way where you bring energy, and you're a power plant, and you can su help supply energy because your significant other is going to be somewhat depleted from having yeah. to shoulder a lot of that on, on their own. So you have to come in and immediately su supply a spark of energy. So uh, that would be something that I would point to. And then don't don't forget uh, the the romance factor with with your significant other. Either. I mean, I know what you said about the romance. I know that Eric is is uh, Mister Romance, like a little Barry White, uh, you oh, know, yeah. on the speakers, and just you know, things don't go well. It's not Barry White's fault. I, that's my that's my slogan. So, but on that note, uh, we will shift to a segment. I call put the kids to bed. I'm going to do some rapid fire questions here for you. And uh, I'll start the bidding with your drink, excuse me, your alcoholic drink of choice. Sour beers. The the, the ones that make you pucker, the, the better. And that's really a turnoff for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like sours. At home, are you allowed to load the dishwasher? <laughs> that's a great question. Yes, I am. And I've gotten markedly better at it over the years. In my mid-20s, I was terrible at it. It would... I could have four items and fill up a whole rack. Uh, uh, during uh, birth of one or all of your children, were you north or south of the equator? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh wow! So number one, I was at the I was uh, right on the equator, uh, kind of hedging both ways. And then number two and three, I was north. Um, and, and <laughs> you learn from your experience. Well, there was, yeah, there. And uh, what is the last date night that you had with the missus? So we had, um, I guess it's been about a month ago now. We did a weekend where on Friday night we went to see uh, Michael Kiwanuka. He's a British uh, musician that's just outstanding. And you talk about like good um, baby making music. Like he's really a romantic guy. <laughs> And so we, we saw him on Friday night at a, at a little venue in Nashville called Marathon Music Works. And it's a real small type venue. And so we were probably 20 feet away from the stage. So that was a great time. 
And then the next day we did a double date um, with some friends. We went to a, so there's a, the super middleweight IBF ch champion of the world is a guy named Caleb Plant. And he's from the Nashville area. And he brought a premier boxing championships card to Bridgestone Arena in downtown Nashville. Yeah, that, that was really fun. And I got to wear like a real gaudy, uh, you know, you go to the boxing matches and, and that I wore like a real gaudy uh, purple and white shirt. And I borrowed my neighbor's <laughs> cufflinks. How do you, uh, I know, I think I know the answer to this because it's a multi-pronged answer, but how do you take your coffee? So I like my coffee black, uh, my drip coffee. And if it's a French press or if it's any type of brewing method, if it's just a regular pot of coffee or anything of that nature, I like it black. And then my drink of choice that, that involves milk would be a cappuccino. I, I love a good cappuccino. So you and I are out for a couple of steaks and you ask the server to prepare your steak how? So first of all, I am uh, going to order probably a ribeye or a bone-in ribeye. I just want to put that out there as like my, Thank my you. cut of choice. Amen. And, and yeah, on that. And then I'm going to order it uh, mid-rare. Do you have any runner-up names for your children that you were going to name them but did not? <laughs> so that's a great, that's a great one. Uh, so... Harrison, our oldest son, who's a great kid, he was, if he was a girl, he was going to be named Novella. And then uh, Lennox was named after Lennox Lewis. No, I'm just playing. He really wasn't. But uh, <laughs> my, my, I just wanted to throw another boxing reference in there. My wife really uh, just loved the name Lennox. And my middle name is, is Lynn. And my dad's was as well. So it's kind of a play on that as well. But it was, she just loved the name Lennox. So we, we came in with that. And I did. His middle name is Reed after Willis Reed. And that's a true story. Nice. Uh, and, and so I did get a, an NBA name in there. And then Novella, uh, we, we were really struggling with what we were going to name her. And it was, I was finally, I looked at Shay. I was like, why don't we just go with Novella? We liked it with Harrison. But if she was a boy, um, I had talked Shay into letting me name her uh, Dutch. Dutch. Dutch is, I think, just like the coolest name. And it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's name in Predator. Yeah, of course. So, of course. Everyone knows that. So I was we almost had a Dutch Angelo, but instead Dylan, we had a, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean Carl Weathers had some I think people, you know, discount his arm size to Dude. Me, but he he was up there with Arnold. Yeah, he was he was pretty big for a while. The one movie where they cast him as the leading man was Action Jackson. Yes, Action Jackson. <laughs> so that was a, that was a really good movie. But uh, and the the thing that I always go back with Carl Weathers, um, Carl Weathers is he played uh, linebacker for the Los Angeles or the uh, Oakland Raiders in the nineteen seventies. Yep. So I mean, he was an NFL athlete, level yep. athlete, and man, it really showed. Like in Rocky Three, when he's running on the beach. The, just the economy of movement and the grace and the fluidity <laughs> yes. and it was a very beautiful thing to watch yeah he was you could tell you could totally tell um which i always think is funny because especially now in movies you know the trend has been especially with all the superhero movies a lot of the actors doing their own stunts um a lot of them have bulked up you know male and female have gotten really really great shape for, for these movies but it's interesting to see um when you see an, an actor that puts on muscle that looks the part and then you actually see someone that was or is an athlete and just the difference 
You know, and even right. even like The Rock. I mean, even though he was never a professional athlete, you know, he played at University of Miami. I think he didn't play much, but I mean, he was you know a collegiate Division One collegiate football player. And compared to and then wrestling and everything, and then compared to you know other people that are just you know big or have muscles in in Hollywood, it's like pretty funny to watch. Like you said, the, just the movement patterns and just the, the you know one looks so much more natural than the other. You've seen this, I think, and if I don't know if anybody has it, if you have it, you need to Google this: The Rock, Mark Wahlberg, Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley. There's a photograph out there. Have you ever seen this, Eric? I don't think so. No. Okay, so you need to Google this. There's a photograph of. The Rock and Mark Wahlberg, uh, when they were filming Pain and Gain, you remember that movie a couple years ago? Yes. They were like the bodybuilders. So during that movie, that was as big and as thick as The Rock ever got. Like that was as heavy as he ever was and like as just massive as he ever was. And Mark Wahlberg did too. He put on a lot of weight. And they are standing, the two of them are standing in a photograph. And on either side of them, Shaquille O'Neal is on one side and Barkley is on the other. And they're both, you know, retired for years. And you could tell that they're both put on weight and everything. And you think that The Rock is big and you put him next to these two guys and he looks like a kid compared to, to Shaq wow. and Barkley. I mean, just the, the, and this is the biggest that The Rock has ever been. And then anytime you see The Rock, whether it's in a movie or on TV or on Instagram, I mean, he like dwarfs everybody else he's standing next he's to. He's huge. He is. He's, he's super huge. And then you see him next to Shaq and Barkley, who have been retired for 10 to 15 years each, and they're just in like khakis and a polo shirt. And they're like literally like double his size. It's just yeah, like that's unbelievable. Amazing. So I'm looking at the photo of Shaq, The Rock, uh, Marky Mark, which I still call him that, and and Barkley, and you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> Shaquille makes him look like he could put him in his pocket, and Barkley, <laughs> which is surprising to me, is is much bigger than The Rock, and Wahlberg is wearing a nice pair of uh, Jordans. So there you go. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on this uh, on this nonsense. I hope uh, some people will listen and find that valuable because I think you have a great story. And uh, welcome to the the Fathers with Daughters Club now. All right. Before we get out of here, we're going to end on a segment I like to call Just the Tip. This is some quick information designed to help you be a better dad or at least pretend to be a better dad. And today's topic on Just the Tip is all about how to make a proper sandwich. That's right. There's a right and a wrong way. Step one, toast the bread. Toasting adds texture, flavor, and it also helps build a layer of protection against the bread becoming soggy. And we've all been at a restaurant or a bar and the bottom bun of our burger or the bottom piece of bread of our sandwich is just destroyed, soggy, gross. So toast the bread. Step two, when you add your condiments, you gotta add them on the bottom. Most people slap some mayo or ketchup on top and call it a day, but technically, you wanna spread that condiment on the bottom layer for two reasons. One, it is a major barrier from the bread getting soggy, just like we talked about. And two, because your taste buds are on your tongue. So you wanna taste that as part of the first bite of your sandwich. One final note on condiments. You need to spread that 100%. Crust to crust is a must. Step three, add your meat and cheese in an even layer. Seems obvious, but you don't want a giant ass mound of roast beef in the middle of your sandwich and nothing on the ends. Step four, Add your lettuce, tomato, onions, pickles, jalapenos, whatever. And one simple thing that's often overlooked when it comes to adding your vegetables is salt your vegetables. If you've got tomato slices, if you've got onions, if you've got jalapenos, throw some salt on them. And as a bonus tip, if you want your head to literally explode, add some fresh herbs. 
some basil leaves, some fresh thyme, some parsley leaves. Amazing. Step five, add a light spread of condiments to the top slice of bread. This is also where you'd want to add any avocado. If anyone's ever had avocado on a burger or a sandwich at a restaurant or bar, what happens? There's a few slices on top of your sandwich. You go to take a bite and all of them squirt out the bottom. So what's a girl to do? Simple. Mash it up in a bowl and spread it on like guac. The reason you want to add avocado on the top is that unlike mayonnaise or mustard or ketchup, which have some acid to it, avocado is just a giant fat bomb and will end up coating your tongue and you won't be able to taste the rest of your sandwich. So mash it up, add some salt, and spread it on that top layer of bread. Last bonus tip on building a proper sandwich. When you think about a sandwich, you want your first bite and your last bite of the sandwich to taste the same. That's why it's so critical that there's an even layer of everything, from your meat and cheese, to your vegetables, to your condiments, and even the bread. So there you go. Get out there, make yourself a sandwich, and bring me one while you're at it. Bring it in. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode of Saturday is Daddy. Next week, I'm talking to one of my good buddies, Jaime Ramos. His wife is Asian American, and boy, oh boy, did cultures collide when they had their son Luke. So come back next week, and remember, Saturday is Daddy. Thanks for listening.